Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh, producer here at Realm. A new episode of Ominous Thrill is ready for your ears. It's Advice After Dark. Late night radio host Belladonna delivers extreme advice to the delighted horror of her audience until a creepy listener forces her to confront the brutal consequences of her show. Here's a preview. Welcome to my live stream, Bella. Say hello to everyone. What do you want? Click the link. Watch along. I'm not clicking links from psychos. You put that trash on the radio every night and I'm the psycho. You sound like you need help. I'm not one of your fake callers. My show is very, very real. Do you want to know what it's called? No, I don't. It's called Belladonna Gets What's Coming. Starring you. What? It's really starring me. But it's all about you. And you'd be surprised how many people want to watch you get what's coming. I called the police. They'll be here any minute. Yeah, well, we should be done before they get here. Find Ominous Thrill out now, everywhere you listen. Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A. Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler. And right now, you are literally hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> On this episode, we're talking about one of my favorite movies because it's the 20th anniversary of the Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan buddy cop movie, Rush Hour. Rush Hour was released on September 18th, 1998. It debuted at number one and stayed at number one the following week. It was shot for $35 million, then made $142 million in the U.S. and another $104 million worldwide for a total box office of $245 million. In today's 2018 dollars, adjusted for inflation, the budget was $45 million and it grossed $337 million. So, Scott Singler, uh, before we talk about Rush Hour, mm-hmm. it's been a while since we posted a story smack. It has been uh, has been quite a while. Mm-hmm. We have not pod faded. We just haven't gotten around to it. We've been very, very busy. Yeah, you know, the last time that we put out uh, Story Smack was at the end, near the end of June, and we talked with Evan Diamond, who is the band leader for your band, That's The Library. Correct. That is correct. And that episode did really, uh, we got a lot of feedback. Uh, we had a really good time. Evan is actually coming to our fan appreciation weekend next month. Sigler Fest 2K18! Yeah, that's in Las Vegas. You can still sign up, uh, still register if you want to up until the date begins. Uh, and you can just go to scottsegler.com slash story smack if you want to learn more about it. Scottsegler.com slash Sigler Fest. Oh, yes, I said Story Smack. Yes, uh, Yes. Sigler Fest. Um, And if you're anywhere in the vicinity of Las Vegas, you should consider doing that. It's a really, really fun time. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, since we talked with Evan back in June, we have been to a billion cons. Oh, um, my God, so many cons. And to uh, San Diego Comic-Con, Dragon Con, World Con. Yep. Um, I recorded two audiobooks that are coming out on Tuesday. Tuesday, September 18th. Congratulations. Audiobooks uh, by the author Casey Alexander. Mm-hmm. And I recorded the audio for Penguin Random House, and it'll be out on Tuesday. You were all fancy September pants. You're up 18th. in LA to do that, right? Yeah, I went to um, Penguin Random House Audio in Woodland Hills in LA, and I spent a couple of weeks there, a couple two, maybe, and then a couple of pickup days there doing that. It was a really interesting experience, especially because my first um, not 
empty set recording experience ended up being in exactly the same studio where you recorded Ancestor. That's right. And we only saw that once I arrived because um, cool. Random Real House cool. Audio has 10 studios, but I ended up being in the same one where you ten, recorded uh, 10 Ancestor. studios in the one building. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 10 separate rooms. And, and uh, when we walked in, we both were like, hmm, <laughs> it's just exactly the same one, which is, it was a really fun experience. It was a whole lot of work, but just like anything else, it, it, anything else worth it, I, I would like to do it again. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear it. And uh, what what else did we do during that time? Anything? Uh, I mean, you had a lot of summertime. You finished um, the first draft and the second Second draft of GFL 6. Second draft of GFL 6. I think you have like maybe one more day before you have to hand it over to the editors. Mm -hmm. And you finished the first draft of Mount Fitzroy in that time as well. Yes. And three short stories. It's been Mm -hmm. a busy time. So if you guys are audiobook listeners, if you listen on Audible or any other audiobook type places and you and you listen to Casey Alexander's books that A recorded, make sure in her reviews you give the narrator a little sugar <laughs> so people can see that. Uh, so we may not be entirely back on track with Story Smack, but at least at least we've got this episode A. We've got this and they can't take it away from us. Mm-hmm. Rush Hour is fun to come back to because it was a major blockbuster. It's really a game changer in different a couple different ways. Yeah. And you know, in addition to being uh, absolute financial success, the entire um, series was. There are three of these movies. They were all profitable. Mm-hmm. And um, in addition to just having been sort of fun, popcorn-y summertime movies that totally worked, they also were blockbusters with two minority leads, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. Yep. Chris had... Um... Chris Tucker came on scene, stole the show in the Ice Cube movie Friday. He was smoky. And then really stole the show in The Fifth Element with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. It was just an amazing, crazy performance in that. Uh, that was all before he became the leading man and blew up the box office in Rush Hour. Um, in case you don't know, Chris Tucker is black. Yes. yes. Chris Tucker is black. And Jackie Chan, of course, was already a worldwide star coming out of Hong Kong in martial arts films. He was born in Hong Kong, where he made most of his movies up until the point where he made Rush mm-hmm. Hour. Mm-hmm. He had made a few in the U.S., uh, including Police Story, Rumble in the Bronx. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. As is Rumble in the Bronx. And he had roles in the cult class, and he had a role in the cult classic Cannonball Run yes. with Burt Reynolds. Well, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, a moment of silence for the late, great Burt Reynolds, who passed away earlier this month. Cheers. Clink. Bert, you definitely were the hotness. He was the best. He was the best. So back to Rush Hour. We're going to talk about the movie itself, not about politics. But you are right that, right about the significance of the minority leads in that, at least in the U.S. market. Uh, right now, we have a big push for diversity in film coming from a lot of different areas in our communities uh, to get more people of color on camera, to get more women behind the camera, people of color behind the camera, et cetera. Uh, how do you think, do you think this movie contributed to that cause at all? Or is it just kind of, you know, some kind of, people don't even think about it. All the craziness over Black Panther, for example, or Wonder Woman, and you never hear Rush Hour come up in that conversation. Well, I mean, I think that part of the reason for that is this gestalt is happening real time now. Like there's quite a lot of scrutiny, not just in the entertainment industry, but at large, that's happening sort of here and now. And Rush Hour, of course, is 20 years old. But I do actually think that it's significant and that it matters. And a big reason why is, you know, I say this all the time on this cast and others, that representation just matters. Mm -hmm. And not just, oh, hey, there's a black man on the screen. Because we had tons and tons and tons of movies, and we still have tons of movies, where it's set in LA like this one is and all the bad guys are 
not white people. Right. And this is totally different because it, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, both are minorities, of course, we just in discussed, York, yeah. and, um, and they are in complex roles. And that's important too. And I also think it's very, very important. It's so much easier to, if you're trying to learn something new and you're trying to integrate something new, comedy is a lot easier than drama, right? Like this uh, rush hour where they're, where they're saving the the girl mm -hmm. and each character, Jackie Chan's character and Chris Tucker's character, both have an opportunity to be the court jester, to be the real hero, to be human, to be right. funny, to be sad. They, it's a, they, each of those parts are, are, internally consistent as diverse human beings. And mm -hmm. I think that is the, that's the, the start of it. So, you know, comedy never gets its due ever, ever, ever. The Academy doesn't nearly as often as it should award really fantastic roles that were comedies because mm -hmm. it's harder to cry. It's harder to do drama. It's harder not to wear makeup, all that stuff. But I don't think it's any less deserving of having broken boundaries and broken records and, and just giving people a chance yeah. to see that anybody yeah. can be a hero. And in both this case and in Black Panther's case, the bottom line is they were great movies for all the other things coming at like, Hey, you need to go watch this movie because of X. The bottom line is you need to go watch this movie because it's a freaking fantastic film. And it's just, it's important to note that, uh, there are a lot, probably a lot of people listening to this podcast who've never even seen Rush Hour because they were too young and it came out 20 years before Black Panther. Right. And, you know, there's also this that um, there's other movies where around the same era, sort of mm -hmm. late 80s, early 90s, very early aughts that are changing the game, not because they're game changers. And I don't mean to say Black Panther, the people who made Black Panther went out to make a game changing, life changing movie. I don't think that was their goal. I think their goal was to make a fair representation of Black Panther as it came through the comics mm -hmm. and also to make a great movie, but mostly movie. to entertain people Yes, and that it was, a, um, this bellwether is good, but it, it, I don't really think that's what they were doing. And I think that the same thing is true here. And the same thing is true earlier than this with Beverly Hills cop and Eddie Murphy. Mm -hmm. Eddie Murphy was so, so, so famous when he made Beverly Hills cop. And that also changed the game because he could do that. He didn't have to fight for status. He didn't have to fight for his paycheck. He didn't have to do any of that. So he could spend all his time fighting to make the best movie. And I think that stands on its own as well. Yes. I think Beverly Hills Cop is really special Still great. as well. Still great. Without Beverly Hills Cop, there's no rush hour. Those right. are very similar characters. Well, and, but I, and I would argue that, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that, I would argue that um, without uh, Lethal Weapon, to, I don't know that we would have a rush without, hour. Without Beverly Hills Cop and Lethal, because that's basically what rush hour is. It's sort of a combo between rush hour and Lethal Weapon. Um, and we'll close out this political, very this very political discussion and don't forget the 1998 was a different time. There was no Twitter. There was no YouTube, no social media. Uh, blogs had only just started to make an impact. And most, mo like 99% of people had no idea what those were. So there wasn't a big social media push for diversity in film. And I don't think director Brett Ratner gave that a, a thought about representation. He was just like, these are two really talented actors. We're going to put them on screen together. And it worked out big time. Yeah, although I wouldn't credit Brett Ratner with that at all. The director is not the one who makes that decision. And, and especially in this case, Jackie Chan is actually coming in with a ton of money and a ton of cred and a ton of authority. And so he's probably making more of those decisions. But I agree with you. It's oh, a totally different world. Ratner really courted him. He went to South Africa to get on a, a set for Jackie Chan trying to go convince him of that. We'll get to, we'll get to the, in some of the, some of the notes, we'll get to some of the other people who were considered for these roles. So, so it was a pretty formulaic story that we had just mentioned to the, um, the lethal weapon and that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. most buddy cop flicks that work are 
formulaic for a reason sure. because they work. Mm-hmm. And this worked mostly because of the chemistry between Chan and Tucker. It's a fish out of water, story A. With Chan playing Hong Kong cop Inspector Lee, who is tasked with rescuing the kidnapped daughter of a Chinese diplomat. When the FBI wants nothing to do with Lee, they dump him off on the LAPD, where he's partnered with wisecracking detective James Carter, played by Tucker, who is assigned to help Lee. Although Lee and Carter just can't stand each other, at the beginning, they work together, learn from life, learn life from each other, and go on to solve the case. Dumb, in other words, dumb. in a world with two cops. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I, I I think we should probably talk about we just watched it again in, in preparation for Stories Night. Yes. And I will say that I went in like I, I sometimes we watch like we, we watched Starship Troopers not too long ago for mm-hmm. Stories Mac. And I was like, I had seen this movie and I liked this movie. And that's about it. Like I was gunning for for Rush Hour because I love this movie and I think it held up really, really well, actually. I think so, too. I think it didn't want my childhood to be ruined, so to speak. So it starts off. With the funny, amazingly choreographed fights that are Chan's trademark. He's made a whole career out of this is amazing martial arts action. It's well choreographed. Uh, He is incredibly good at what he does. He does his own crazy stunts, and it's always lighthearted and fun. So we get, we start right off the bat with that. Like, this is a martial arts film with Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it's six minutes in, we get introduced to Chris Tucker who, no surprise, for his uh, his acting range, enters in loud, obnoxious, and honking his car. <laughs> uh, also, though, up until that point, this is a movie with subtitles. This is a movie where they're speaking... Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. in Hong Kong, so they're speaking in subtitles, which I think is really important to sort of foment that fish-out-of-water feeling. Mm-hmm. And then you get the same thing with Chris Tucker sort of jive-talking in the streets of L.A. He in- encounters Chris Penn, who is a yes. villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, R.I.P. Chris Penn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, is Chris Tucker, is that, that do, do you hear the words that are coming yes. out of my mouth guy? And I think that's sort of a, um, a bookend to the Hong Kong piece. Yeah, it works. It, it's a really good encapsulation of this is a prototypical Hong Kong cop and then this is a prototypical loudmouth renegade wildcard uh, mm-hmm. L.A. cop. And at nine minutes into the movie, we are firmly immersed <laughs> into the 90s because we have uh, Chris Tucker's character shooting in a moving vehicle at night on a crowded city street, popping off a whole magazine, and a trunk full of C4 explodes. Now, oh, this but is, only after everybody gets out of the car. Everybody gets out of the car. Yeah, and people that's are, important. People get shot. And this is some solid, highly accurate police work, just capping off rounds down a downtown LA street. Mm-hmm. So we're not, I like this, that nine minutes and 30 seconds into this film, we've already established our two leads, established their personalities, shown they are funny in their own ways, shown they're both badass good guys. And we've established the little girl who will be the big plot point, And we've established Chan's emotional attachment to her. Mm-hmm. And nine minutes and 30 seconds in, this is really tight. Uh, buddy cop screenwriting. We've got all the important pieces we need. And then from there we move on to let's see what these characters arcs and see how the plot plays out. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie, I, I, I don't know if you have anything, but, but uh, uh, before 24 minutes or so, but around 24 minutes, we still have exactly that happening. They're sort of having two different experiences. Mm-hmm. We're meeting the other players as viewers. We're meeting the FBI. We're meeting the girl. We're meeting the villain. But they are still operating in separate orbits, both thinking um, that that they know everything that's about to go on. Jackie Chan's character feels very badly that he he is not protecting the girl. And in in his culture, there's a respect thing. So he's mm-hmm. coming to the United States to help the FBI because 
that's the respectful thing to do for his, his boss or whatever. And Chris Tucker is so full of, he's that guy, right? He's so full of himself. He thinks he knows everything. And his um, chief sets him up because the FBI needs a babysitter Mm -hmm. and she sells him out. Like we have this important assignment at the FBI for you. They totally set him up. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Uh, at 11 minutes, 10 seconds in, we get the classic line. Not one call it a classic, but you're like, what does this movie have to do with actual rush hour? There's no rush hour in this movie except being... Except we get the bad guy separating the car, carrying the little girl, and just before he shoots the two guys driving the car, they're like, what's the problem, officer? No problem. Just rush hour. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom. And I'm like, okay. Literally, that is written into the written in the script is the only reason for the movie's cool name. That's it. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think that they're also, I mean, maybe. They're also in L.A. and they do spend time in cars. And every, as you know, because we go to L.A. all the time. Mm-hmm. L.A. is rush hour. There's, but, no, there's yeah, no more rush hours in the movie, though. There's nothing. Right, there's high-speed car chases. But I thought, like, 
That's basically. I mean, they did name speed speed, and they never get above fifty miles below fifty miles an hour. That's because it's speeding all the time. I mean, it's not fifty miles an hour. It's not speeding. That's not speeding. Didn't they circle an airport for a while? And that's definitely speeding. Definitely speeding in an airport. Uh, At thirteen fifty, we get the mandatory ninety eighties nineties buddy cop line. I work alone. I don't want no partner. I don't need no partner. I ain't never going to have no partner because Chris Tucker is a wild card. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is when he's talking to Elizabeth Pena. Oh, yes. We have also, uh, who has also since died. R.I.P. Elizabeth Pena. And she was so talented. And in this case, is supposed to be his his partner, but is a good foil for the the person that Chris Tucker is at the beginning of this movie, where he's full of himself, but also clueless. She's a hardworking cop, you know, mm-hmm. not for nothing. Speaking of representation, she's also a Latina woman who is yeah. in a position in that scenario. She's the, the smart, shiny one. Yes. And, and Chris Tucker is the court jester there. And that's important too. It's not, she's the straight shooter. She's not bullshitting. She's not lying. She's trying to do her job. Right. Right. And she, you know, closes her eyes and shakes her head at him a whole bunch of times because that's just what you would do in real life. Like, Oh, right, you're so full of yourself. Like, go, oh, here's enough rope. Go hang yourself. Like that's kind of, there's a little doing. bit of uh, you and me in our business together there. You're, like, oh, the, Lord. you're the exhausted Elizabeth Pena. And I'm, I'm trying to be a, a semaculum of Chris Tucker. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in one of the few parts of this movie that does not hold up very well in the modern era. At 20 minutes and 30 seconds, we get Jackie Chan coming off the plane in America to the sound of a Chinese gong. Yeah, you were so uncomfortable. <laughs> so uncomfortable. I was laughing. I'm not sure they could actually make that part of the movie today because it's like, hey, this is a Chinese guy. In case you didn't notice earlier, hey, he's Chinese. I mean, I don't see it that way. I, you absolutely reacted <laughs> okay, that way. Okay. I absolutely think if you're making a comedy about a cop from Hong Kong coming to work with the idiot savant cop in L.A. You don't think that's too on the nose? I, it's super on the nose. I don't think that it's necessarily offensive with the setup that they had. I'm not saying offensive, but I, I doubt if you were to remake that movie today. You would not get the Chinese cop coming off the plane yeah, with a Chinese gong and some Chinese music playing and in the I, background. Yeah, and I see what you're saying, and certainly you had a very visceral reaction to that. So maybe I'm I'm off the mark here, but I also think like I don't, you know, Big Trouble in Little China is full of crap like but that. That's ninety um, ninety the four. Chi- I'm with you. The Golden yeah. Child is also full of crap like that. Yeah. Full of crap like that. I don't know how you would make those movies today. I do believe that there's room in today's entertainment world to make a comedy based around, you know, the, the next incarnation of the Dalai Lama or whatever, like the golden child was. I think that's possible. I don't think I know how to do that, but I Mm -hmm. don't think that that means we can't do it anymore ever, but it might be wrong because you had a totally visceral reaction to it. I we're we're more now that we're pitching movies and pitching TV shows and we're in Hollywood now and then working on our, our stuff. I think about that and like, putting that in the script and just watching how reactions would be now. But I, I don't know that much about it. I'll be honest. Then at uh, a little bit later, we get Chris Tucker personifying the ugly American just as um, on the nose where he, you know, he says something and if Jackie Tan doesn't respond, he just repeats the same thing slower and louder. Yeah. So that's really, sort of my point. Like yeah. I think that obviously you wouldn't be, you weren't offended by that. You wouldn't be offended if you saw it again. Mm-hmm. So we think there's a way to inter introduce stereo to, to do that right necess- necessarily because we we'll, we should do it right from now on now that we're more sensitive but that's both ways we should also do chris tucker right or him being the loud american yeah he's very loud american uh at 24 25 minutes in we get a cool scene where jackie chan gives chris tucker the slip 
And then when Jackie Ch- or when Chris Tucker catches up with Jackie Slaney, so Jackie Chaney's supposed to be watching out for him. What does Chris Tucker do? Does he have a rational debate with him? Just say, hey, man, don't do that more? No, he pulls a gun on him. You know why? And he has terrible trigger discipline. <laughs> He's terrible, terrible. Tr- trigger discipline. He pulls a gun on him, puts the gun against the guy's head. You know why? Wild card. Yeah. Chris Tucker's Carter's a wild card. It's just... It's uh, the strangest chase scene ever where they're just trying to keep up with each other. And yeah, no I mean, real... and that's that's a, certainly a cornerstone of Jackie Chan movies. They, all of that stuff, like that chase scene ends because he, I think, hangs off the road, the street sign for Figueroa Street. He's in, Jackie Chan has gotten on a double-decker open-topped bus, a tourist bus to yes. go around the city. Mm-hmm. And he hops up onto the sign that says Figueroa Street in LA and hangs there until he can get pretty impressive onto another vehicle and get out. Um, but one of the things that this starts to do is establish Jackie Chan as this uh, sort of holier than thou kind of character at this point in the yeah, movie, right? I thought about that. Which is interesting because right after this, so this whole thing is a debacle. It leads them to get sort of hauled into to Chris Tucker's police department mm-hmm. and having to answer for their hijinks. And so all this time we're sort of establishing, or we, the, the viewer, are led to believe that like Chris Tucker is nothing but a wild card. And up until this point, he isn't anything but a wild card. And you see Jackie Chan as this very respectful, very solemn, very dedicated. And you, he's the, he's the smarter one. He's the yeah. sounder one. And, uh, and then they get in there and, and any rational officer like Jackie Chan would be like, yeah, sorry, we're kind of oil and water. We shouldn't work together. But because Jackie Chan is Jackie Chan and he's a hero in this movie, when uh, Chris Tucker's chief questions them, he says he totally defends Chris Tucker. We, mm-hmm. I misunderstood. It's a language, but it's fine. And that starts, I think, starts the buddy cop right. relationship I thought right the there. bonding came a little, the buddy cop bonding moment, mandatory, came a little later, but you're right. I, it really does start there. Well, and it does. The big, big one where they're, they're, you know, talking about what they've lost and why they're there and why they're cops. That's the real moment. But it sort of starts when, for the first time ever, because everybody else on Jackie, or I'm, I'm sorry, on Chris Tucker's team, they make fun of him. They, mm-hmm. they treat him like the court jester he chooses to be. And Jackie Chan sees, I, you know, I, this might be a little grandiose for this point in, in this particular movie, which is still a comedy. But I think Jackie Chan's character sort of sees the cop he can, that Chris Tucker can be, mm-hmm. and honors that. And I, and I love that moment because Chris Tucker, who is such a great comedic actor, really has a total surprise on his face. Like a moment where he is completely like, what? And then... Quickly moves back into Chris Tucker and moves on with it. It's very nice. We move into the pool hall fight scene, which I was excited about because I've been lectured about being old forever and ever about this. The fight choreography is fantastic. <laughs> and no, zero shaky cam. Well, so, shaky cam didn't exist then. Uh, all you kids, all you crazy kids who uh, who think shaky cam's good, go watch, just go get rush hour and watch the pool hall fight scene and see what it was really about back when I was a kid. Plus, Are you it, saying that this... Makes you not sound old. No, I'm saying this is when I was a kid, we had real fights with choreography and all kinds of fun. There wasn't because a shaky the cam. Exactly true. They'll shaky go back and cam. watch that and they'll be like, is it, does this really take a whole minute? No, they, no one in the world could watch this and not be friggin' impressed with all the fighters in that I scene. Everybody does a great job. Order, that's not true. I will take that bet. Uh, plus, my, one of my favorite Chris Tucker lines in the movie when he goes in to roust out the gentleman in the fabulous, fabulous red suit who owns the pool hall. Uh, and he says, the only reason I haven't busted you is because you're my cousin and busting you would kill Aunt Bootsy. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, why you got to bring Aunt Bootsy into this? <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, 
43 minutes in, there's yet another giant explosion. And this is really a nonstop action movie. It's pretty much eight or nine or 10 high action scenes with a few jokes thrown in between and a couple little sincere lines. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. At uh, 51 minutes, we get a break in the case. That one guy, you know, at the beginning, Penn, who was in that scene with Chris Tucker, we thought he was just going to jail. No. It no? turns out he has inside knowledge is very beneficial to the case. What? Who knew? What? Who knew that would have happened in a buddy cop movie? I know. Now, see, at 52 minutes, I thought that was our first real bonding moment when they are uh, they're bonding over the song War. Uh-huh. And we're having fun with Jackie Chan's inability to pronounce war, war and the word y'all. Yes. 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 Although there, there is also, there's so many um, sort of cornerstones or touchstones about buddy cop films or what I'll say, sort of 80s, 90s genre-ish sort of films that this pays tribute to for sure in that there, it's mostly, you say it's mostly an action movie with a few jokes thrown in. I kind mm. of think that this is a spiritual ancestor to a movie like transporter okay but this is a comedy and that's a thriller mm -hmm. but they're both sort of low on the the thing other than action <laughs> so the comedy in in the case of rush hour and the thriller and you know shoot them up in the case of the uh, transporter mm -hmm. other than that they're just really really pretty really really sexy lots of action kind of movies and not not terribly deep and then a few minutes later, we uh, had some more highly accurate Los Angeles Police Department work. It's no big deal. It's just two cops uh, pointing weapons at each other, okay. disarming each other. As traffic goes by and pedestrians are walking by, nobody's paying any attention to these two guys aiming, uh, these two plainclothes aiming guns at each other. Also, again, terrible trigger discipline. <laughs> terrible <time>. trigger discipline. <laughs> that's, why, that's why they got to go back to Quentin Tarantino. Mm. Trigger discipline can get you in trouble when your car hits a bump. 59 minutes in. Okay. You know that one guy, that guy that we thought was just somebody, just a nobody at the beginning of the movie? Chris Penn. No, that's not Chris Penn. The one who's pals with Jackie Chan? Mm. Turns out that's the bad guy. Mm. Who knew? Who knew that the guy who was pals with Jackie Chan's boss and, and said, Jackie Chan, you're the best super cop mm -hmm. ever in a million years. Who knew it would turn out to be the bad guy? I've never seen anything like this. I mean, in a I sort of see when ever. the girl gets grabbed in the beginning. I think you see Tom Wilkerson, so you sort of know. Do you really? No, no, I don't think you do. I think you do. You, he's got a motorcycle helmet on. He does, but that doesn't now, mean Now, maybe not. you notice the fine cut of his custom suit. But right. I, what I'm saying is you are supposed to get that that's that character because uh. he's in the same suit and everything. You might not because you weren't paying attention because you're paying attention to the action, but that's the point. But you missed a super important, oh, very me. funny moment at around 57 minutes um, when he's going to, in person, he's going to use another, is it Jackie Chan is, or no, uh, Chris Tucker is going to use Jackie Chan's ID. Yes. And he said, or uh, no. Yes. It's the other way around. Jackie, Jackie Chan's Chan gonna is going to use Chris Tucker's ID. ID. And he says, like, this is never going to work because I'm not 6'1". Or he's not 6'1". <laughs> and, it, and it takes a half a second and then it's so much so funnier funny. than it should be. But it is really funny that he's like, he's not 6'1". Yeah, that's it. Not that's why. Because yeah. they flash the picture and it's smiling Chris Tucker with a giant afro and a mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not 6'1". <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's really clever, clever writing. At one hour and two minutes, one of my favorite lines, one of everybody's favorite lines, maybe. Which one of y'all kicked me? That's just <laughs> classic. Um, and now immediately after that, another fight scene. I now have lost, I wrote down, I lost count of the fight scenes because mm. there's so many fight scenes. And then 
a little bit later at an hour and 10 minutes, we're getting close to the end of this. Uh, Chris Tucker's BSing his way onto a plane where Jackie Chan is. And you remember how much of a debt this movie owes to Beverly Hills cop. Cause it's basically an Eddie Murphy scene from Beverly Hills cop where the, the cop just comes in and BS his way to go wherever he wants. And uh, I don't know if that's an homage or a ripoff or they're just like this element works. So they go with it. Yeah. And there's all this, um, there's a lot of, I've said this a few times on this episode, like the, the lethal weapons and the Beverly Hills cop and the Miami vice, even the sort of the eighties, nineties, cool buddy cop mm-hmm. thing. Um, adds to this because this is 1998 so it's pre 9 11 so the idea that chris tucker could sit down right next to jackie chan uh, in first class again Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense but because you have the whole movie sort of with this painted nostalgia and it wasn't nostalgia then but it is now you sort of roll with it it's fine yeah you just you just go with it um okay now this never happens in a buddy cop movie you know that one chick pena who is just the partner who is easily discarded. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out she was on the bomb squad and he never thought anything would come of that. Holy cats. That totally comes into play at the end of the movie because her bomb squad ability is what makes her more relevant. And she saves the day. Who knew that was going to happen? And the girl. She saves, she the, saves girl. the damn girl. And I make fun of it only a little bit because these are stock beats in a buddy cop movie. But if you guys go back and rewatch this, it's done so well. Yes, we know these things are coming because we've seen the same movie 15 times. But it's not easy to pull these things off and make them so effortless. So, yeah, that's, it's formulaic. They do stock stuff, but they do it really well and it flows great. Yeah, and we talk often about, you and I talk often about, in the office, about um, the the resistance to the idea that formula works for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like you want to write, and understandably so, original, unique, really engaging, really fascinating things. That's what you, that's what your goal is. That's why you show up to work every day. Mm -hmm. And yet when you go see a movie, what you want as a viewer absolutely is things you can count on and tropes. You want them in a more interesting, somewhat unique from before way, but you still want them. Yes. And when people write in uh, to us and talk about how big of a fan they are, that they're new to your work and they really love it, they always say you're different in that your um, scientific accuracy is great and this, that, and the other and all that stuff. And yet, they are also responding to Nocturnal, which is a crazy monster cop, it's, buddy, it's cop. A buddy cop. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny how much we want to believe that we are, we are better than the formula. And yet we all crave the formula. Yeah. <laughs> and when we go back and, and there's a reason this movie made so much money. That's mm-hmm. the other, cause people loved it and it's, who cares with formulaic? It does it extremely well. And the guys in it are ridiculously talented. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have a very important point okay. that I, w- I would like to bring up. I want oh, you to, okay. I want you to know this is serious. It's right. very serious. Let, I want let you me to make sure I'm zone. sitting. I mean, okay. I'm sitting. I, I, I tweaked my back earlier this week, oh, yes. so I got to make sure I'm comfortable. Comfortable. When we execute our master villain plot together, wait, wait. and we have defeated all of the good guys, and we have $50 million in a suitcase, well, um, let's not use that suitcase to pummel said good guys. Okay. I see. I see. The suitcase will break. Yeah. And our money. No. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it just, you know, I've learned a valuable lesson from this movie. And that is here today. uh, When all the money is gone, you learn the greed never wins, eh? 
Greed never wins. Greed never, well, greed temporarily wins. So we're going to use a burlap sack for cool, our money cool, with cool. the black dollar sign pin on the outside. Okay. Because you can, right. that's like, you know, that's like a soap party. You know, you just hit people with it. It's sure. like a blanket a party, soap right? party? The blanket party in the military. And they beat guys with the soap and the socks like uh, that. So we, okay. can use, we can use the bag of money as a weapon, but it won't have a little lock okay. that right. breaks like Samsonite. All the money floats down amongst the... Uh, hopefully our hopefully our master plot will take place at an exhibit of Chinese art. Hopefully. Sure, sure. Priceless. Yes. Priceless. So Chinese let's take for sure. careful notes on this and make yes. sure that that okay. never happens to All us. Right. Fair, fair. And then fine, I'd say the last 20 minutes of this movie is just a nonstop sequence. Got great stunts, great choreography, uh, the wonderful gag with Jackie Chan, who has been able to whoop everyone's ass, now getting beat <laughs> because he's trying to save all of these priceless artifacts from his home from his homeland these are his heritage so he's literally trying to hold up vases while he's getting kicked in the ribs it's a really super nice touch and it makes it funny it makes like most of his action it humanizes him a little bit even in the midst of the silly stuff right and and it's a kind of a bookend to the him being a stoic good guy in the beginning when he defends chris tucker and sort of takes the heat that he doesn't deserve to take mm -hmm. because these are chris tucker's superiors it's this grounded moral gentleman that he is underneath the cop, underneath the, the, the person from Hong Kong, underneath the one who loves that kid. Like yep. the, his essential self is this moral good man. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it, it also I'll get to this a little bit at the end, but it's, he's a very patriotic guy for China communist country. And it's not mocked or ridiculed or marginalized in any way. Mm -hmm. He's just, he's a good cop. He's a good guy he, in his very proud of his culture and they don't, they don't li He's belittle that Hong at all. Kong, which was a which was a protectorate at the time, which mm -hmm. was a special financial district. So they're quite. They had just aren't. just it had just been turned back over to China. That's in the plot of the movie, right? Right, but it's still a special financial district either way. Yes. So. But Jack, he's I'm fighting sure. for the he's fighting for the artifacts that are five thousand sure. years old yeah, or whatever. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So anyway, I uh, I think that kind of brings us to the end of the movie. Uh, we don't talk about too much about um, specifics in the movie so that we don't spoil you. I think it was great to watch it again. I think it holds up really well. Um, a few things that you know, maybe I would like to see differently, but mostly. You know what else holds up really well? What? Some things you did not know about Rush Hour. Oh Lord, like whoa, whoa, ho. Oh. Good God, yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Here's, okay, so here we go. Here's some things you did. Now we'll make this very quick. Uh, this was the first film to be released in the U.S. in which Jackie Chan spoke his own English language dialogue. Up until Rush Hour, his English parts were dubbed because of his uncertainty in speaking the language. For Rush Hour, though, the director convinced him to speak his own lines for the authenticity of his character. Number two, Martin Lawrence was the original choice for Carter. Eddie Murphy was offered wow. the role of Carter, turned it down to make Holy Man. Big mistake. Although you're like, if you're Eddie Murphy, you're like, I already made this movie. I made three of them. Yeah. And I did really well. Like, that's a huge consideration because, oh my goodness, what if, you know? Yeah, it's just what exactly if Rush the same isn't, role. It, but it isn't as good as, as, it, so it's good. I'm happy that there's two different actors in this, these similar movies. Now, here's a few that came up in my search. I don't know how accurate these are. Will Smith. I'm not sure if he was the right age at the time, but probably, probably could have pulled that off because he's probably about the same age as Chris Tucker, someone in the ballpark. Mm -hmm, probably. Uh, Dave Chappelle, mm. which I'm not too sure about, but that would have been impressive. Mm -hmm. And Tupac Shakur was also considered, heavily considered for the role of Carter. And did he die in 98? I think he might have died, died before or I'm not sure. Uh, number three, 
Rush Hour is considered by some to be a remake of 1988's Red Heat, which features a similar premise about two detectives from different countries, played in this case by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who played the Russian, and Jim Belushi, who played the American, joining forces to stop an international incident. Uh, Also, that may be uh, one of the first movies I ever saw that portrayed a Russian guy as something other than either easily manipulated, like Ivan Drago, or as a straight-up bad guy. That was the first time I saw a Russian guy in the movies who was just a, just a good human being doing the best he could to serve his nation. It was really, really fascinating. Number four, Chris Tucker's line, which one of y'all hit me? Comes from a... That's pretty impressive, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> comes from a Seven Samurai, the movie Seven Samurai, 1954, in which a drunk samurai gets hit on the head with a stick and says... Which one of you hit me? So I was really bummed when I found that out because I thought that was like Chris Tucker ad-libbing and it made it so much cooler to think that he came but up with that. But don't you think a Kurosawa homage oh, it's very is cool. awesome? It's, very, it's not as cool as, as watching a stand-up comic like Chris Tucker, who's amazingly talented on stage, coming up with that, that in the moment of the, of the shoot and like, oh my God, that was perfect. We got to keep mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But it's still extremely, the homage is very cool. Before you move in onto other things I don't know, uh, Tupac Shakur died in 1996. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. Well, could have had Tupac Shakur in this part. That would have been fucking awesome. Uh, number, I think we're at number five. The exterior shots of the Chinese consulate is also used as the exterior shots for the original Wayne Manor in the 1966 Batman. They should have checked the basement for a Batmobile. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, the second to last one, Tucker was paid $20 million for Rush Hour 2. $25 million for Rush Hour 3. That $25 million made him the highest paid actor in Hollywood, which people don't think about when they think of Chris Tucker. Mm-hmm. But wait, it's more significant than that. The last point, Chris Tucker was the highest paid actor in the 2000s. For the entire decade, he was the number one earning actor. In the 90s? In the 2000s. In the 2000s, okay, okay. Yes. So he went, say, from 98 to 2008, mm-hmm. because of the mass amount of money he made for those two movies carried over pretty well. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I will say that the last I heard, um, there's been lots of talk about a rush hour four. Yes. And then I believe, and it's been years now, four or five years Just now. Just waiting on Chris Tucker at this point. Yeah. And Chris Tucker, it seems to be a scheduling thing, which is interesting. Cause I don't know what, like, so whatever Chris Tucker is doing that he's this busy because apparently not about the money, not about the script. Because he'll have, they'll have both, they, both of them will have say in the script. So according to Jackie Chan, just recently ish, mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple of years or so that it's, it's about finding the right time to do it. And, and he said, you know, eventually we'll be too old to do this. <laughs> we should do this probably <laughs> soon. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's it. That's it. We hope you have enjoyed episode 38 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash StorySmack, and we would love to see your comments over there. As always, you can find us on iTunes. Search for Scott Sigler Audiobooks and subscribe. You'll get a free unabridged audiobook episode every Sunday, and you'll get... However often we do the Story Smack, you'll get that. We hope you subscribe to Scott Sigler Audiobooks so you can hear more Story Smack goodness in the future. Until next episode, we will talk to you all real soon. Hey. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.